Hi, geeks. Thanks for listening to Sustainably Geeky, episode 30. In this episode, Jen, Chris, and I talked to Michael Green, CEO of the Center for Environmental Health, about chemicals, the good and the bad, and ways that they affect our everyday lives and things that you can do to help mitigate the harmful chemicals. Um, this was a really great conversation with Michael. He's a wealth of knowledge, and we really think you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, folks. You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, and today we're going to be talking about toxins. I have our regulars, Chris and Jen, here. Hello. And we are joined today by Michael Green. He is the Chief Executive Officer at the Center for Environmental Health, or CEH, which he founded in 1996. Prior to founding CEH, Michael helped uh, with Care for the Sick at Mother Teresa's Mission in Calcutta. He's a recipient of the California Wellness Foundation's Leadership Award and has also been awarded the prestigious Compassion in Action Award for his work protecting children from lead by the Dalai Lama Foundation. Uh, the CEH is a 501c3 organization and has been hired by both corporations and government agencies to design policies that will protect the public from exposure to toxic chemicals. They are a leading advocate for comprehensive chemical policy and uses both the carrot and stick method to change corporate behavior in order to protect people from illnesses related to pollution in our air, water, products, and food. So Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks and for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about kind of what CEH does day to day and some of the stuff you guys have um, done over the years. Sure. So our job is to protect people from toxic chemicals in their air or water or food or consumer products. And <clears throat> some of the work that we've done in the past is we were able to, in essence, eliminate lead from children's products by going sector by sector. First baby powder, toys, baby bibs, all kinds of different children's jewelry. And then <clears throat> after we were able to basically get each sector to agree to eliminate the lead, then we and our friends passed national legislation banning lead in children's products, which wasn't as hard as it sounds because all the companies that used to do that had already agreed to stop. <clears throat> um, we also advise very large companies on how they can eliminate toxic chemicals from the stuff they buy or the stuff they make. And then we also do some policy stuff too to try to protect everyone's air, water, food, and products. Wow, I I'm surprised that as early as 1996, they still had lead in children's uh, toys and stuff. I mean, that seems like something we would have done a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you would have thought. Yeah. Well, um, since you're here, uh, you know, to talk about toxins, can you just start by explaining to our listeners <clears throat> what toxins are and, you know, why we should be concerned about them? Sure. So um, we live in an incredible moment. Um, I'm walking down the street with a computer in my pocket that's more powerful than they used to put the man on the moon. But there are downsides to that incredibleness. <clears throat> One is that there are 86,000 chemicals that are allowed to be used by companies in the U.S. And of course, with the number that large, there's no way that those have all been tested for their health impacts. So we're doing a science experiment on ourselves by having us be exposed to these toxic chemicals through our air or our water or our food or products that we touch like toys um, and not knowing the health impacts. 
<clears throat> so what we want is for companies to know what are the risks, the health risks posed by the chemicals in the things they make or the way they make them before they make them instead of finding out later, oops, we found out that BPA mimics our hormones, so we'll switch to something else. That's one of the biggest concerns you think about when you hear about toxins is the health and environmental concerns. So um, can you kind of touch on some of that? You know, what I guess what are some of the biggest um, concerns when it comes to things people should avoid and why? Sure. So um, heavy metals, which I think people know more about, like lead or arsenic or mercury or cadmium. So <clears throat> those um, increasingly are ones that we are being protected from, but we're still also being exposed to those things. Flint was not like a one-off. There, there are hundreds of communities around the country that have also have high levels of lead exposure in those communities. And also we have in, in those communities, just like in Flint historically, we haven't done a good enough job protecting those communities from lead. In addition to heavy metals, there's also <clears throat> other categories of chemicals. Like I mentioned a minute ago, BPA. So BPA is a chemical that's often found in plastics and it gives the plastic certain properties that they want the plastic to have, but it also mimics uh, estrogen. So estrogen is a hormone. And if you think about hormones, what do they do? They're the chemical messengers in your body to, and they tell your body, it's time to grow fat cells, or it's time, time to grow cancer cells, or it's time to go into puberty at age eight, or it's time to go into menopause at age 28, or not. But if, if they're not actually hormones, but they're man-made chemicals that your body thinks are hormones, then that can have basically any health, bad health outcome you can imagine because of the example I just gave. So BPA is a chemical that is a estrogen mimicker, means that it, your body thinks it's estrogen, your body think is, thinks it's a hormone, and so that can create all kinds of bad health problems, including breast cancer, for example. So then the, the media started talking about BPA because of the kind of work that CEH and other organizations like us do, started talking about that. So companies had not, BPA had not been banned, but as a result of them doing this sort of science experiment that I just described, there was BPA in a lot of products. And so the companies switched and they switched out of BPA and then sometimes they switch to a chemical cousin, like BPA used to be used in receipts. And so that meant that especially cashiers were being exposed all day to BPA. So they switched after uh, um, a number of things, including us suing some of the biggest companies in the country. Um, and, but they switched to BPS. They switched from bisphenol A to bisphenol S. So what we really need is we need companies to proactively trying to look for a good solution as compared to just avoid whatever is being talked about in the media as a bad thing. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I feel like the BPA backlash was, was in part because there was so much media coverage over it. And, and you see now BPA free this and that, and uh, we know more about it, but that's, you know, th that was a concerted effort. And, and how many other chemicals are there that don't get that kind of attention? And um, how, how many things, like you said, that we don't know are in other things. We just don't know the, the consequences of a lot of them yet. So, and often, the, well, so then that, that's disempowering. So what's the empowering part? Often the empowering part is to look for some kind of third-party certification. So the third-party certification that people know the best is organic. So that third party is actually the government. It's the USDA 
actually identifies what's organic and what's not. And if it's organic, you know it doesn't have, it wasn't grown with pesticides, for example. So there are other third-party certifications for all kinds of stuff. There's third-party certifications for um, cosmetics and there's third-party uh, certifications for different categories of products. And so people can look, depending on the product they're looking for, to, for the third-party certifiers who are not, uh, it's not necessarily a PR stunt by the company that makes the product, um, it all depends on the quality of that third-party certifier. I admit it's not uh, super simple, but at least there's a way for you to know because you're hearing from somebody else, not the company, that that product is safe. So I have a quick question. Um, what are the like top 10 most harmful toxins or chemicals that we're exposed to and we don't even know about it? Like It's maybe not on our radar. Um, and what can we do about it? Ten's a pretty large number, but I'll start. Um, so there is a category of chemicals called PFAS chemicals. And Mark Ruffalo made a movie last year about this. It came out last fall. And it's called, <clears throat> the movie's called Dark Waters. And the book that it's based on is by this awesome guy. The book's called Exposure. And it's by this awesome guy who um, took on DuPont who was one of the manufacturers of this category of chemicals, PFAS chemicals. So, um, um, and so Mark portrays this guy, Rob Lalak. Um, so what are PFAS chemicals? They're, they're chemicals that are super slippery. And what that means is that you, it, nothing can actually get it, grab onto it and break it down in the natural environment. So they last in essence forever. In fact, the, 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 the slang for them is that they are forever chemicals. And so these chemicals called PFAS, P-F-A-S, it's an acronym for a long list. There's thousands of PFAS chemicals, but the ones that people know the best are Teflon. So in, for the same reason that eggs won't stick to the pan, also little microbes can't break it down in the environment because they can't grab onto it. And stain master, the reason the, 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 when you spill red wine on the couch and then it comes off, uh, it doesn't stain it, is because if there is a layer of, um, this chemical on it that is slippery so that the wine can't be absorbed by it. So that sounds great, and it actually is. And so we need to figure out how we can make that kind of, uh, it's back to that example of we live in an incredible time with, with spectacular aspects to it and horrible aspects to it. So, um, so a key uh, category of chemicals that I'm worried about are PFAS chemicals. And so there's a, there's a right now there's kind of like a, a race in the private sector to make alternatives that give the products the properties that we like without these uh, chemicals that are uh, highly toxic and also last basically forever in the environment. I mean, they're found in polar bears and penguins and basically everywhere where there's no uh, couches with stain master and pans with Teflon. So that's one category of chemicals. Um, another is just the metals that I talked about earlier. So what type of items are, you know, the average resident touching that might have PFAS in it? And, you know, maybe, I know you mentioned like Teflon, so, you know, baking pans and stuff like that, but I know it's in carpets and, and a lot of other items as well, like furniture, like you were mentioning, if it has that stain-free option. So what are some of the stuff that maybe isn't on, like what items are we touching every day? <laughs> Um, so, if, so Gore-Tex or uh, 
products that are designed for the water to be able to only go one way. Um, so for Gore-Tex, you know, what's cool about it, because when I, I'm a camper, and so I, I go camping a lot, and when I was a kid, I went camping a lot, and when I was a kid, we wore wool to keep warm when it rained and it was wet, because it was before there were these raincoats that didn't let the rain in, but let our, you know, let the heat out and let the sweat out. So um, right now, um, uh, camping apparel companies are trying to race to be the ones, the first ones to create an alternative Gore-Tex that doesn't have these toxic chemicals in it. That's, so that's another example of where these chemicals are. But sometimes it's not about what products you buy, it's about just where you live. So folks in North Carolina live near uh, 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 um, a company that is uh, exposing them to real to very high levels of these chemicals in their drinking water because they live near where products are made or the chemicals that go into products are made. Yeah, I uh, I heard that some of the some of the tests that have been done are showing that it's showing up in like chocolate frosting. <laughs> so it's in some of our food items as well. It's also in all of our bodies. There's, there's probably nobody on the planet who doesn't have some level of, of this category of chemical in it. And because of the same things I just described about it, it's also really hard for us to expel it. The nice thing about BPA, if there is something, is that if you're not ex continue to be exposed to BPA, your body gets rid of it in a few days. Um, but this chemical you'll carry, you know, possibly for the rest of your life. So the real key thing for us to do is, one, not use products that have it, like the ones I described, um, and two, for us as a society to stop using these chemicals in the first place. I'm forgetting the name of the app, um, but there's some app out there for a company that kind of looks at cosmetics and all sorts of other products so they can tell you if it's safe or not on a certain scale. Is there anything like that that you would mention to people to kind of start looking into, you know, products that have been identified that aren't good to use? Yep. So there's a few. Um, there's actually a lot, but I'll, so one is there's something called the good guide and the good guide, uh, does what you described. Another is that that that's a for-profit company. There's a non-profit company called environmental working group and they have on their webpage, they have a, um, they have a list of a bunch of products that they test. Um, oh, that's right. It's called like the EWG app when you try to download it. I remember right. that. <laughs> so, okay. so, so if there's a particular kind of product you're looking for, you can just like search for, for it and for you know healthy options or safe options or something like that and then uh, whoever is actually providing that information for that category of product it will just come up because there's a lot of options okay thanks sure chris did you want to jump in i know you had a couple questions about um uses and things like that yeah um Myself, I'm allergic to chemical fragrance. So everything in my house is either you can drink it. I have vinegar and vodka that I clean with, um, baking soda, and I make my own laundry detergent. And my kids are sensitive too, but I get I get headaches if I, especially uh, fake floral scents. Um, was it why do they put them in there? As somebody who's allergic to, I get very frustrated that they're in there because they don't have to be in there. Was it a marketing gig? Was it a? Is it just cheaper than using a more natural, um, uh, a more natural oil or something? Because it's and there seems to be more and more like Gain has got this Wango Mango Tango detergent. It smells good, but 
I can't, it, nothing smells like that out in nature. And, you know, I know bleach is safe in certain concentrations or dilutions, I mean, but I can't stand the smell of it either. And it's just, it's, how did we get from, you know, natural cleaning products to everything having to smell like pine sol and disinfectant? Yeah. Well, if you think about the scent, the sense of smell, it's like one of our most primitive senses. And um, so, it, and it's associated with a part of the brain that is, you know, uh, <clears throat> that is more impulsive. And so the scent of something, if you associate the scent of something with uh, it being attractive, something you want, then you're gonna, you're gonna wanna buy that product again. You know, like when you go buy some ice cream stores and they're pumping out some kind of artificial ice cream smell, um, that's to entice you to come into the store, you know, and so there, there is this uh, history of us having developed a definition of the smell of clean, like you mentioned pine salt. So that's not necessarily the smell of clean, that's the smell of whatever chemical they put in there to give it that smell, but we have now developed an association. If I smell that, it's clean. And so, um, or if I smell that, it's beautiful, or if I smell that, whatever it is, right? And so um, fragrances or cosmetics <clears throat> are the one thing that they don't have to disclose. And um, the fragrances are uh, incredibly, um, they can use an incredibly uh, minute amount and it have a very, very strong effect on getting you to buy that product. And so um, because they don't have to disclose which chemicals are in the fragrance, it's sort of like a, it's a little bit of a trick because then you don't know uh, what chemicals are in the product if it's in the fragrance. So my guess is you are not allergic to all the fragrances. You are allergic to some fragrances and then as a result, or you are just having a reaction to some of the fragrances, but you don't know which ones have which. There's no way for you to know. You can't say, well, I'm allergic to these seven. So I want to avoid these seven because you don't have the right to know about those seven, even though you should. Is the law different in Canada, Chris? Do you know, because she's up in, in Canada, do you know if they have to disclose stuff like that on cosmetics? Um, I don't particularly know because I don't use cosmetics, although I have a daughter who's now wearing makeup every day, so I'm getting schooled on that. Um, I'm not sure. I know we have similar um, sort of... Um, Oh, I'm losing my words today. Uh, kind of laws and stuff as over in Europe, we have the same sort of uh, standard of of usage and um, criteria that, sorry, my dog's here, um, that companies need to meet. But again, I don't know. I, I know that some things that I bought, all it says is fragrance. So I'm guessing like what Michael said, that they don't have to disclose that either, which is frustrating because if I knew exactly which ones set off the headache then i could just mm -hmm. avoid it and not buy those products but yeah i'm sure yeah a lot of people are in that boat too and mm -hmm. i know like he said i have bought things because they smell better than you know the other one or in the past i'm like oh i like the way this smells so i'm gonna i'm gonna try this not you know knowing back then that you know there's other things in it that are not great but mm -hmm. i would there's assume a, though oh go ahead there's a book called toxic sludge is good for you and the book is actually not about toxics as much as it's about PR and spin, but it uses toxics as, as the examples. And it's, it's a great book. It's so, so it's nonfiction, it's a great book. And there's an entire chapter about fragrance and about the sort of the tricks that companies have used to use fragrance to sell their products. 
and completely enlightened. I like that. I I like that title. I have a question about, um, I heard this, I don't know if I read it somewhere, if it was just one of those rumors that you hear, um, that those products like uh, Lysol and uh, Clorox and everything that say they um, can kill 99 point whatever percent of bacteria, that it actually doesn't kill it, it just like degrades it and you've just went and spread it all around. You've just spread this chemical around everywhere along with all the bacteria you're trying to kill. I have germaphobes in my family and they love that stuff. And every time I see it, I'm like, you're not actually killing it. Is that true? Or am I just. I actually, I actually, I actually don't know that, but I will tell you that soap and water is the main thing mm -hmm. I mean, in the day, in the moment of COVID, instead of using chemicals to kill it, soap and water works uh, better and is not going to create any potential long-term health outcomes for you. And so the same goes for your kitchen counters or wherever. Um, but I don't, I don't know the answer to that specific question. Yeah, it was just one of those things in school that I'd heard and along with the whole detergent, does it actually clean your clothes? So there was one guy I went to school with who actually like for the whole semester just didn't wash his clothes because <laughs> he didn't think the detergent actually did anything. I have so a no question. No, we stayed away a little bit by the end of that experiment. <laughs> um, since you brought up COVID, is, are you worried about hand sanitizer? I've, I've heard some bad things. Um, there are some hand sanitizers that have come, uh, that, that are being uh, sold, brought into the U.S. that don't are not up to the standards of uh, um, what would be safe, but the vast majority are. In the cases where they're not, it's actually that the, that the standards are good and it's the um, federal government is not necessarily enforcing the standards, but soap and water is the solution. And the other thing is just use Jack Daniels or whatever you like. But if it's if it's 140 proof or more, then it's 70% alcohol or more. And that's all you really need because that will kill the virus. The alcohol will kill the virus. So if you see hand sanitizer and it's 70% alcohol, you know that it will do the trick. And the, the question you're asking about are there some things coming into the U.S. that also have toxic stuff in it? That is possible. And that's why soap and water is better because you don't have to worry about that. Having said that, I use hand sanitizer all the time. I make my kids use hand sanitizer when we can't wash, wash our hands. Like if we're going, you know, if we're out of the house or something. We have to like dispose of hand sanitizer at work um, and it's considered a hazardous waste. So I was really? wondering like what's in it. <laughs> Interesting. But anyways, all right. The, well, the alcohol thing is interesting because I have heard a lot of uh, distilleries and, you know, different companies that processed alcohol um, have switched to making hand sanitizer right now. So that's kind of interesting. Um, since we were talking about regulations, I, I'm just wondering, and you may not know the answer to this, but Chris mentioned that they follow a lot of what the EU does. And in a lot of cases, um, the EU has much more stringent regulations on things like chemicals that go into our food and you know that we put on our body. Do you know anything about that? And specifically, like what are some of the things that they overregulate that we underregulate or vice versa and why? Well, I have, I have a particular bias. So I actually don't think they overregulate anything. I think okay. we underregulate. But having said that, um, um, in, in the EU, a number of years ago, they passed something called REACH. So it's an acronym, Research, Evaluation, 
and authorization of chemical hazards, REACH. And so what REACH is trying to implement is the exact opposite of what I described at the beginning, where basically the chemicals in the US are assumed safe until proven otherwise. So they're doing a science experiment on us. And if they find it's harmful, they'll just say, okay, companies have to stop using it. But we, some of us have already been exposed and potentially gotten sick or even died. So the idea of REACH is to flip that upside down and actually have companies actually know the health hazards of chemicals before they use them, either if they're a chemical manufacturer and then the chemical manufacturer has to inform the whoever's making whatever it is, the furniture or the cosmetic or whatever, um, if you buy our product, here's the health hazards associated with it. So um, um, that's just a better way to go. It seems like companies, who, is the, who knows the most about the toxicity of a chemical is the company that manufactured, that invented or is making that chemical. And so unfortunately we can't necessarily trust them with uh, just saying it's all safe, don't worry about it. That's sort of back to toxic sludge is good for you. But what we can do is we can uh, expect them to be able to know the health hazards and then give that to a government agency whose purpose is not to make a profit, but to protect our health. And then that, um, that company then has in advance identified what the health hazards are. So the EU sort of what's called regulatory regime, the rules under which chemicals are brought into our lives is different, is kind of the opposite of here. Now it's gonna take them a long time to implement that, that's a complex process, um, but it's a much more mature and rational way to go. Yeah, it makes sense to me, you know, know what you're putting in your body before you put it out there or what you're exposing yourself to. Um, Hopefully we will have something like that as well someday. <laughs> um, so we've talked a lot about bad chemicals, but are there good chemicals that, or, or good, you know, things that we've invented that actually are beneficial for our health or have kind of done what they're supposed to do, I guess, without any bad side effects? Yeah. I would say the majority of what we make. The majority of what we make, like it's, it's an incredible, uh, it, like, like I said, it's, 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 it's an incredible moment. Like my grandfather, he, you know, his family had a horse, right? And, uh, and so uh, we have like, you know, we can get on a plane and go to the other side of the world. Well, maybe right now we can't, but normally we can. And, um, and um, we can do all kinds of uh, things. You know, um, I, as a teenager, I was really sick. And the doctor told my mom, oh yeah, if it had been a generation earlier, they would have died. And so we're just in this moment that's a miracle where um, uh, d diseases can be prevented or uh, vaccines can be created or we can have walk around with computers. My 11-year-old, my I ask her a question. She says, well, let me just search it up. You know, and 30 seconds later, she knows something that I didn't know. And that's just, it's a different um, world that is, um, that is beautiful. And, um, and it's not just about information. It's also about, um, it's about a thousand different things. So to, to only focus on the negative of um, sort of um, uh, and the private sector's creativity and creating things that make our lives better is, is a bad way to go. But we also have to just hold them accountable that they're not gonna make a quick buck at the expense of our health. 
Yes, great point. Science has, has brought us some truly remarkable things and we need to, you know, remember that not all of it's bad, not all of it is scary. We, we need a lot of it, or most of it. So, um, ladies, did you have any other questions or thoughts on this topic before we move on? Um, I just want to say that I love your optimism. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just really refreshing to have an optimistic spin on something that a conversation that could have gone downhill pretty quickly. <laughs> so I guess it depends on, on your outlook on all this. I just want to say thank you for kind of always trying to turn the conversation into a positive. Sure. I got more of that. Can I bring you another one? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, so at the Center for Environmental Health, um, <clears throat> one of our biggest campaigns is um, advising companies on how they can use their large companies, how they can use their purchasing power to move markets. So for example, the largest uh, nonprofit healthcare provider in the country is Kaiser Permanente. So it's this massive healthcare chain. They literally have square miles of office and hospital space. And our very first ever pledge, we create these pledges. Our very first ever pledge was that, it's a number of years ago, is that um, uh, companies could sign the CH pledge that they won't buy furniture that have these category of toxic chemicals in them, uh, these um, chemicals that, that are designed to prevent uh, fires, but actually don't prevent fires. And they are very toxic and they come out in the dust and then we um, inhale them or ingest them. And so Kaiser was the first one to ever sign the first ever CH pledge saying, we, we won't buy furniture with this category, toxic, category of toxic chemicals. And then the chemical lobby immediately tried to cream them in the media and they were like, Okay, you're the chemical lobby. We're the we're a healthcare provider. So if you say that we're making people sick, you know, putting people's health at risk, we can live with that. And as soon as that happened, then all of a sudden, a bunch of other companies said, "Oh, we'll sign it too," because they saw that it didn't stick when they were criticized. And so now you can't find furniture in the U.S. with these chemicals in them, basically. And the reason is there's a number of things that happened all at the same time. There was policy and other stuff. But I believe the biggest reason is is that big purchasers like large universities and uh, LinkedIn and Google and Kaiser and some of the largest companies in the country said, we're not gonna buy furniture with those chemicals in them anymore. So the manufacturers started competing with each other. Who can make the best furniture without those chemicals? And now we do that, we've done that. Now we've got lots of pledges and there's uh, on different kinds of chemicals, including the PFAS chemicals we talked about earlier, the ones that um, like Teflon is an example. And so now what we're doing is we're creating sort of a race to the top of companies saying, we want the clean green stuff. And then the manufacturer saying, well, then we better make the clean green stuff because we don't want to lose market share. And so that's just like actively right as we're talking right now, that's happening. That's awesome. Do you think there is, uh, you know, enough, um, demand from consumers and knowledge in the consumer base to start supporting companies, not just in furniture, but in anything. Oh, yeah, I, right. I know there's a movement to go green, more green, but. So there's, there, there's individuals and there's institutions. <clears throat> and so for individuals, what they're, you know, each person buys a little bit. Let's just talk about furniture only because it's simple. Each person buys one share, but each large company might buy a hundred thousand shares in a year. And um, so, um, um, so we are doing both, 
but we believe that a lot of the action can occur when we are partnering with a company that has decided they're going to use their, you know, um, $40 million annual procurement budget just for furniture to change the way furniture is made or flooring or, uh, um, you know, the foodware in their cafeteria or whatever it is. And so, yeah, individuals can have impact, but there's also a, a really big opportunity for big, large purchasers to do it too. Yeah, that's great that you guys are working with those companies to have them use their purchasing power because, um, that's going to, like you said, make a, a lot more of a statement than onesies, twosies here. Although that doesn't mean we're, you know, suggesting to our listeners not to do those things. Definitely keep, you know, buying sustainably and looking for things that don't have those chemicals and things like that. Also, um, people, individuals buy different stuff than corporations. And so it's uh, also important that individuals do it so that we're shifting the market. You know, we're, we're signaling the market to move away from toxic chemicals, the stuff that are sold to individuals and the stuff that are sold to companies. Great point. Yeah. Um, I had Chris, one last question. Oh. <laughs> Chris can go first, though. Alrighty. Um, where did this passion for um, the environment come from? Have you always been a lifer? Like you had mentioned, you've been camping since you were a kid. Has it always just been there? And what made you just dive right into all of this stuff? Does your, do your kids have anything to do with it? Are you even more passionate now that you have children? Yes, 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 and yes. So um, uh, I'm Jewish, and when I was a kid, I had to go to synagogue every Sunday, and it sucked. I hated it. And um, I know a lot of people had this similar experience with church. And the deal was, as soon as I was confirmed, I could either keep going in high school or I could volunteer on Sunday mornings. So I knew. I was like, you know, the minute I was allowed to, I started to volunteer. So where I, vo I volunteered at the local nature center because I liked camping. I figured, okay, well, I'll go to the nature center every Sunday morning if I can get out of going to synagogue. And, um, and so it started with that. And then I had an experience when I was 18 and I was a freshman in college. I was in Boston at that time. And I was walking along the Charles River, which is the main river that goes through Boston, um, in the middle of the night. And I saw the conflict between the river and the city in just, I had sort of like an epiphany. And I was like, we're not allowed to swim in the river. We're not even, we're as students, because I was a freshman in college, we're not even supposed to put our feet in the river because it's so polluted. I have to do something about this. And so it's not like I had like a whole plan, you know, uh, okay, I'll go to the EPA and then after that I'll go there and then I'll start a nonprofit. But um, it was important enough to me that I just found myself continuing to do this kind of work. But there's not, there, there, there's not just, pe people can do this kind of work as volunteers too. You don't have to be uh, somebody who devotes your whole career to it. You can also be somebody who spends a little bit of time, say three friends who create a podcast and they're educating once a month, they're educating everybody about this. And so there's something that everybody can do, whether that's uh, where they're, you know, they devote their whole career to it or it's just something that they do every once in a while. I love that, more of that optimism. <laughs> And one person can make such a difference as you've shown because you founded this great organization that's doing, you know, work all around the country and the world to, to help people be healthier. Jen, do you want to jump in? 
I mean, I feel like we're kind of asking questions towards the end here. So this might be backing us up a little bit, but I was just thinking, you know, a lot of us do use natural cleaning products who are conscious and aware of, you know, the, the hazards of using traditional, but oftentimes we're putting essential oils in those products. And I recall when I was looking at essential oils, you know, there's these companies that maybe have chemicals that they put on the plants that they're growing and then that can get concentrated in the oil versus some of the other ones that are organic. So I just didn't know if there, if you have anything to add to that. Organic's always better. Organic's better for so many ways. So first of all, it's better for the reason you just said, that if it's organic, you know that there was no artificial pesticides that were put on the plant when it was grown. But also, it shifts the market. It single, signals the market. Also, it means that there's less likely to be a, a monoculture um, um, a growing process that depletes our soil, that makes the soil less likely to be able to, in the long term, create healthy food for us. Um, there's there's all of these uh, um, different ways that we can move towards more healthy or less healthy, and everything about organic is going to move us towards more healthy. So, for example, where do most of the uh, fertilizers that are used in uh, <clears throat> you know, in industrial scale agriculture come from, they come from oil and gas. So we're drilling the oil and gas out of the ground and then we're transforming it into a fertilizer and then we're putting the fertilizer in the soil. It depletes the soil. It also accelerates climate change and it accelerates climate change and, 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 and undermines the soil's capacity to protect us from climate change. And so for uh, those reasons and probably 20 more, organic is the way to go for everything. Yeah, I guess there was just some, there were some companies that were claiming that they couldn't get the USDA organic logo because a lot of the plants were grown outside of the U.S. and so they weren't able to get that designation, I guess. So are there certain brands that you're aware of or do you think that's on like the EWG app so you can actually find out what is the best option? I don't think that the kind of thing is covered there. That's why I was saying that there's lots of different apps for different you know, you should just figure out what you're looking for and then look for the right app for that. Um, okay. um, um, no, and, and I don't know, you know, what company and what product it is that's saying that we, we can't get the USDA uh, um, certification. So uh, um, I don't know enough about that. Okay. Well, sometimes you think of the best questions towards the end, like Jen said, so. <laughs> Um, but you never know where the conversation is going to go. This is great. Um, Michael, do you have anything we haven't covered that you'd like to add before we kind of move on to, you know, resources, et cetera? I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day. So, um, um, I mean, the one other thing is that um, for the good of the planet, we want to move away from fossil fuels earlier as compared to later. And, what, and people say fossil fuels because they're talking about when we extract hydrocarbons out of the ground, whether it's in a liquid state like oil or a gas state like natural gas or in a solid state like coal. And, but <clears throat> this is the strategy of the, of, the, um, of the gas oil and gas companies is that they see that at least in US and Canada and <clears throat> in North America and in the EU, the demand for oil and gas is going to level off, and it's going to level off as we um, switch to uh, 
vehicles that run electricity and then make that electricity with renewables as both solar and wind become cheaper. And so when they see that demand leveling off or possibly even going down, they don't want to stop selling their oil and gas. So their intention is to fill that gap and keep selling more and more by making petrochemicals and plastics. So there's an important role for folks to play in the intersection between oil and gas extraction and then uh, um, petrochemical manufacturing, you know, like BPA or something like that, and plastics manufacturing, where we want to basically move our whole, econ whole economy to practices that are just more sustainable and renewable. And so I understand that at least two of you are in Texas and maybe that's heresy, but that's how I see it. No, we're both big advocates of reducing fossil fuel usage and the effects of climate change and um, switching to more renewable energy and even, you know, the other uses that you mentioned for, for fossil fuels. Uh, we got to get away from what are we going to do once they're gone? I mean, they're not there. There's not an infinite supply of them. <laughs> and even if there was an infinite supply, if we keep extracting it until the last drop or the last, you know, cubic foot is extracted, we will make uh, the planet very inhospitable to most living things. So maybe there will be a, you know, the, <clears throat> the richest humans will still be alive and the cockroaches will still be alive and lot, and, and you know, and the pigeons, but the, the diversity of life that we depend on will be undermined. And so I realize that's a really complicated wonky thing. I just totally wonked out, but um, what, uh, what we want to do is we want to accelerate the process by which we get to the day where we're no longer taking any more of it out of the ground, which means we have to have good alternatives. And those good alternatives might be plant-based or they might be uh, based on renewables like things like the sun and wind, which is also caused by the sun. Um, and so we want to accelerate that process. And also the big oil and gas companies, they're the ones who are going to be leading on the renewables anyways, because they have the financial resources to make that switch. Yeah, I love how you connected all of this to climate change, to diversity of life, to all the things that, you know, we try to cover in this show at some point or another, and it's all, it's all connected. So, um, well, what, do you have any other resources? You've mentioned a couple books, um, but other resources, books, podcasts, uh, documentaries, anything you would share with our listeners regarding this topic? Um, well, there's stuff on our website, so that's ceh.org. So that's one place that you can look. And um, one thing that we're working on a lot that we haven't talked about is, um, especially as a result of COVID, there is a, a proliferation of single-use plastic or single-use foodware. Some of it's not plastic, um, much of which has uh, toxic chemicals in it or is not biodegradable or is going to last in our environment for you know hundreds or possibly thousands of years. And so. Um, there's good resources there on how to, uh, um, if necessary, pick the best, uh, the, the healthiest of the single use and how even better to um, make sure that we're using reusables instead of single use disposables. Um, so that's one thing that I think people might find interesting. Um, and then um, um, I think, I mean, there's just so much information out there that, um, uh, I, I mean, this book that I talked about, watching Mark Ruffalo's movie and then possibly reading the book. The book's awesome. It's, the book's called Exposure and it is, um, 
uh, it's nonfiction, but it reads like fiction. You know, it's totally David and Goliath. It's this one guy and he's just working 24 seven. And um, it's, it's, it's a great book. And the movie's called Dark Waters. And it's got Mark Ruffalo, so can't go wrong there. <laughs> uh, Chris, I think we have a couple of ideas for our book club podcast that we also do. We need to suggest these as topics. We'll see if they'll yes. let us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think the big giant run of Star Wars books will use that. You're, you're in debt for that, yeah. I think so. Great. Well, these are some great resources. Hopefully this helps a lot of folks. And um, as you already mentioned, the EWG app has some lists as well. And, and there's there's a ton of uh, resources online, but what we're glad to know that you guys have those um, available on your website as well. Um, so with that, I guess we'll move on to our green life hacks. And uh, Michael, do you want to start us out? Sure. So I listened to the one about bees. Uh, you're, you're one about bees. I really enjoyed it. And uh, so um, I have one related to insecticides because that, you know, that last podcast, the one before this one was about neonics, which is a category of pesticides, which is uh, <clears throat> threatening the collapse of bee populations. And we depend on bees to be able to grow food and because they are such important pollinators. Um, <clears throat> and um, so I thought that I would mention that if you have ants in your house, you can just spread chalk, just draw with chalk right around where the ants are coming in and they don't like chalk, so they won't come in. That's a pretty great non-toxic solution to ants. I wish that worked in my yard. I think there's a little too much happening out there, but definitely gonna try that out in the house if I have that issue. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Chris, do you wanna go next? Sure. Um Michael made me think of something else too, but I'll do this one first. Um, uh, Pila cases for your phones. Let me just take this one off. It is made with a uh, flax shive, probably saying that wrong, and a biopolymer. So it is uh, completely compostable in your backyard compost too, because some things that say that they're compostable, they need an industrial process. Um, I got one, they were having a big Labor Day sale, so I got one for myself. Um, my daughter, and she also got an AirPod thingy for AirPods, and my son, and my husband's already got an OtterBox. And um, uh, another natural alternative for pests, um, because here winter's coming and mice and little voles and everything like to come inside where it's warm. Um, if you don't have pets, you can spray peppermint oil around the outside of your house. And also cloves, whole cloves will actually deter mice too but they already have to be outside. If they're inside, but it's to prevent them from coming in. Yeah, those are, yeah, those are really good ones. I, yeah. I bet in Canada, you guys have to deal with that a lot earlier than us. <laughs> yeah. can, I rip off, can I rip off that one and give another one? Yeah, absolutely. So this is obvious maybe, but so we had uh, either mice or rats in our attic, we don't know which. Um, and then um, it's one of those attics where you pull down the ladder and it unfolds down. And we just started letting our cat go up in the attic. No more mice. Mm, that's a good one too. Because it's not, <laughs> natural. Now, it like, now it smells like cat. And they don't <laughs> they all left. They just went. Smart, yeah. Cats will help with um, bugs as well. You get water if you bugs. Like cats, if you don't like cats, you could even just like borrow your friend's cat and let it be in the attic for an hour and then <laughs> maybe the cat won't like that. But um, then it'll still smell like cat. Yeah. A good one too. 
Uh, yeah, going back to the phone cases, Chris, I have one of those cases as well. And I think it, it's held up pretty well because I've had mine almost two years. And it's just now like broken in one spot, but mm -hmm. it hasn't like worn down. So if you guys are interested, listeners, um, they're, they're pretty reliable cases. And I believe they take back old cases to recycle as well, right? They do. Yeah. If you don't have the means to recycle it, you can send it back. They also have phone cases for a slew of phones, like just a crazy amount of phones. And they also have a, um, like a screen protector that you can order that's good for up to three screens. And if your phone screen breaks, they will pay for it to get fixed while nice. you use their case and their screen protector. Yeah. Pretty cool. Thanks. <laughs> Jen, what was do you the name of it again? Sorry. Pila, P-E-L-A. Okay. Um, yeah, I have one. So hopefully a lot of our listeners are from Texas. <laughs> so you're familiar with New Braunfels, green area, um, green the town, like G-R-U-E-N-E. And we went to the farmer's market that's on Saturday and Sunday every week. And we found this um, green witch apothecary vendor and he was super nerding out on like all the essential oils that they've used and they're all organic and so they don't have the official like usda um logo because it costs you know thousands of dollars to get that accomplished so um even though it doesn't have that it does say organic and i talked to them they make all the stuff at their house um so if you're in the area and you're there on a Saturday, Sunday morning, check them out. They have um, a bunch of different products, um, you know, face creams, lotions, um, lipsticks, all kinds of things that are fun. So anyways, that's my plug for them. And uh, if you're not watching us, it's again, the Green Witch Apothecary uh, vendor at the farmer's market in Green, Texas. Nice, yeah, support a small business that makes natural products. So yeah, I always hated that because like when you go to farmer's markets, they're like, oh, our stuff's organic, but they don't have the logo. And so in the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I can trust that, you know what I mean? But um, I'm definitely a, a convert. And so uh, I, as long as you get to know the farmers, I mean, that's kind of what that whole experience is about and you can trust them, then um, yeah, these are, these are out there and available. Yeah, farmer's markets are great places to get anything that you could normally get almost in a regular grocery store and they you're supporting local the local economy and you're also you know reducing how far your food travels so it's fresher etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's pretty great um well my green life hack is is kind of simple this month um and it's kind of a repeat of what i've done but now that the weather's cooling off and changing around the country um it's time for a fall garden. So I have started slowly planting much slower than I'd like some um, of my fall crops and trying to get my beds redone. So my suggestion to folks is if you're able to garden, you know, get your fall gardens going. And uh, of course, don't use the chemicals, the, you know, things that say they help kill the pests and all that organic gardening is the way to go. And there are a lot of uh, tricks you can find online for how to kind of keep the pests away and, and keep your stuff growing, but I'm still learning myself, so I'm not gonna say I'm a professional by any means. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, Michael, where can we find you online, learn more about uh, CEH, 
what you guys do? Um, we are at uh, www.ceh.org. Um, <clears throat> one thing that is cool that's on our website right now is we've just done two town halls um, in the last couple months. So one of them was just last week and that was about um, environmental health and justice and the election and the importance of uh, what's the relationship between voting and those things. And so uh, Barbara Boxer, who until recently was in the US Senate, and then um, two other important leaders who are not, were not politicians. Um, and then the month before that was about how to uh, be healthy in your home during a pandemic. And that was uh, Vin Gupta, who you might have seen on CNN sometimes, and um, uh, um, the CEO of the company uh, um, that makes Ecos cleaning products. Um, and um, um, so those two videos, they're both around the length of a podcast, they're like 45 minutes to an hour each, um, are super interesting. Um, those are on the website? Yes. And the moderator is pretty lame, but the rest of it's pretty good. And uh, um, uh, so, um, and there's lots of other interesting stuff on the site. Great. Um, Chris, where can we find you online? You can find me here and at all the other Epically Geeky channels. Uh, marginally, Epically, we're, I think we're doing a podcast this Saturday. Um, and on Instagram at Witchy Time Traveler. Awesome. And Jen? Are we well, Miss Jennifer Hetzel has unique and sole proprietary <laughs> um, rights to me. So yeah, this is the only spot. This is it, folks. <laughs> well, you can find me online, of course, at all of the other shows that Chris mentioned, Epically Geeky, Marginally Geeky, and Creatively Geeky. That's our uh, parent site. It's Epically Geeky. Um, the show itself is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sustainably Geeky, and um, you can listen to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find me online, I kind of did this backwards, <laughs> at uh, Het's Gonna Be Me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you do love the show, please, you know, subscribe and give us a five-star rating and write a review. It really does help get the word out there, so... I, I also did it backwards, I forgot to say. So on Twitter, I'm uh, green and green. Green and green. You can follow me there. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for listening, and hopefully this was helpful. Um, you learned something. If you did, let us know. Tweet at us. Send us a Facebook message. Um, write us a re review letting us know what you thought. Thank you for listening. has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 